0: Well, today, I wanna talk to you about being weird. Do me a favor and turn to your neighbor and say, it's about to get weird. Okay, now turn to the other neighbor and say, too late, it's already weird. If you're watching online, leave a comment, say, this just got weird. Today, I'm gonna talk to you about being weird. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm kind of weird. I mean, just looking at me, you might think that I'm normal, cool, calm, and collected, but anybody who knows me well, they will tell you. Byron is weird. I mean, one thing that's weird about me is that I could literally eat the same thing every single day for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, and it wouldn't bother me at all. And to my wife, Ashley, she says that that's weird. I also wear the same clothes every single day. I wear black pants, black shirt, and a hoodie or a jacket. I never have to wonder about what I'm gonna wear. And for some people, that seems very weird. Even my, my daughters, they're, they're weird. Okay, my daughter Ruth, whenever she was little and she would cry, we used to call her Ruth Baca because when she cried, she'd cry like this. And we're like, that's so weird. And my daughter Esther, she's probably the weirdest. I love her, but that girl is weird. I went to go tuck her into bed the other night, and we just finished praying our prayers and reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, and her eyelids are heavy. She's almost asleep, and then she says, Daddy, do you hear that? I was like, no, baby, I don't hear anything. You need to go to bed. She said, shh, listen, listen. And so I leaned in, and at that very moment, she ripped the loudest, gnarliest, wettest fart that there was, and I thought... You're so weird. Where do you get that from? And then I remembered she gets that from her mama because Ashley is weird. And when I think about my family, especially my daughters, I wonder what's so wrong with being weird. I... I happen to actually want my daughters to be weird because when I think about the world, when I think about the culture that we're in as a dad, the last thing that I want for them is to fit in. The last thing that I desire for my girls is for them to be normal. I don't want them to be normal. I don't want them to be like everyone else. I want better for my girls than just average or normal. I want for them to be weird. And I wonder what's wrong with being weird anyway, because in today's culture, this is what normal looks like. Normal is stressed out. Normal is anxious. Normal is exhausted, overworked, overwhelmed. That's, for many people, they're normal. The number one prescription medication is antidepressants. For most people, that's what normal is. Normal is living paycheck to paycheck. That's normal for many people. I don't want that for my girls. I want something better for my girls than just normal. And when we look at even the society... 50% of marriages end in divorce, that's normal. I don't want that for my girls. I want for them to have healthy, happy, and long marriages that produce not just children, but grandchildren for me and Ashley. When I think about what young people are enduring as they grow up, the average person in America has had seven sexual partners. Generation Z is not even 25 years old and they've already racked up a body count of Five, I don't want what's normal for my girls. I want something better for my children. I want something better for my girls. How many of you, like me, you want to have weird kids? I want to have weird kids. I don't want to have average kids. I don't want to have normal kids. I want to have weird kids. The average American only goes to church one out of four weeks per month. That's what many people would consider normal, but that's not normal when it comes to the kingdom of God. I don't want my girls to be like that. I want my girls to not just go to church. I want them to love their church, to serve their church, to give to their church. I want my girls to be so passionately, madly, head over in heels in love with Jesus and serve his church. That's what I want. And to many people, what I desire for my girls they would consider weird but I have to ask what's wrong with being weird in the same way that I want weird for my girls I'm a dad well God is actually a father and when it comes to his kids that's you and me then our father in heaven he actually wants us to be weird and so today my sermon title is this why are Christians so weird you ever wonder that why are Christians so weird? The way the world sees us, the way people talk about us, the way the news reports us, and everything you see on social media, it's always Christians are so weird. You ever wonder why Christians are so weird? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to look at four reasons why Christians are weird, And here's the big idea that's going to drive the thought behind this message. You ready? Pull out your note sheet. We're a note-taking church, so go ahead and write this down. If you want what everybody else has, then do what everybody else does. If you want the same life, if you want to fit in, if you want to be normal, if you want to be average then just do what everybody else does. And what is the result of the way the culture and the world is living their lives? Stressed out, anxious, broke, tired, overwhelmed, and depressed. That's average. That's normal when it comes to the American experience. And if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else does. But if like me and the hundreds of people who call redemption home, you realize that normal doesn't work, try something different. Instead, if you want something different, then you need to be someone who is different. As Christians, we are different. As Christians, the way we think, the way we live, the way that we act, the way that we behave, the way that we view God and others, and the way that we see ourselves is different, which means we're going to be a little bit weird. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to see four ways, four reasons that Christians are weird. And the first reason that we are weird is this, is because our priorities are different. Look what Paul says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. What does he say to do? Set your hearts on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Right here, what Paul is doing is he is describing how a person is saved, it's a big fancy college word. I'll go ahead and give it to you just so you feel like you got your money's worth. Repeat this word after me soteriology. I wasn't there in the room, so I'm just gonna pretend like you said that, all right? Let's try it again. Soteriology. Can you say that? All right, great. Thank you guys so much. I wanted to make sure that you get your money's worth and church is free, so there you go. That one's for you. So Soteriology is the process of God saving someone. And it has three parts. The first part is called justification. The second part is called sanctification. And the third part is called glorification. That's why he says here, justification is that, that since you have died, what is that? That is Jesus Christ. Forgiving you of your sins. At the moment that you repent and place your hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are erased. Your past erased is erased. The old is gone, the new has come. He cast your sins as far as the east is to the west. The penalty of sin has been paid, the debt has been forgiven, and you have been saved. That is the moment of justification in your life. And then he talks about this, that when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's glorification. That's the moment that you are in heaven, that every tear will be wiped away, every hurt will be healed. You'll get the mansion that he he has prepared for you. You'll see the pearly gates. You'll walk around on the crystal seas. You'll get a new resurrected body, live in a new heavens and a new earth. That is your glorification, the moment that you are made perfect with Jesus in glory. Justification and glorification are the bookends of salvation. But in the middle, there's another part. It's called sanctification, how many of you have been told that when you give your life to Jesus, when you die, you will go to heaven? You ever heard that saying? Hey, give your life to Jesus, and when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Is that true? Yes, that is absolutely 100% true. When you give your life to Jesus, it guarantees you an assurance with him in heaven forever. But many times, people live out The middle part. What is that middle part? That middle part is called life. It's that little thing that happens between the moment you meet Jesus and the moment you're with Jesus. The sanctification process is this. It's when you become like Jesus. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. And the reason that as Christians we are weird is because now this is the number one priority in our life. That's why he says this, when Christ who is your life, that Jesus is not just a part of our life, he is our life. That our faith is more than just important to us. Our faith is the number one priority in our lives. That we don't just have a little bit of Jesus over here, have a little bit of faith over here, read our Bibles just a little bit over here, pray a little bit more over here. We don't just try to squeeze God into the middle of our busy schedule. No, what this means is is that we radically reorient our lives because our number one priority is becoming more and more like Jesus in every single thing that we do. And what we recognize is this, is Christianity isn't just something that you do, it's who you are, and it's more than just important, it is the number one priority. Think about it like this, whenever you're single, what do you do? You do anything that you wanna do because you're single. You have no responsibilities. But then when you get married, all of a sudden you recognize what? Your priorities begin to change. Now you don't get to do whatever you wanna do because now all you can do is whatever your spouse tells you to do, amen? Okay, your priorities have changed. Or think about it when you get your first career job. Now you can't stay up all night, hanging out with your friends, playing video games and sleeping through the day. No, you have a nine to five job. You have responsibilities, which means your priorities begin to change. Or whenever you have children. I always love it when I get to hang out and do premarital counseling or spend time with newlyweds because they're so young, they're so in love, they're filled with so much energy and they're so naive. They have no clue what's coming. They're like, we just love cuddling up and being all next to each other. And all of a sudden, you have kids. And then the priorities begin to change, why? Because you are no longer living in the life that you were living, now you have a new life. It's the same thing that happens whenever we become Christians, that we the old person is gone, it's dead and buried, and now we have been resurrected into a new life with Christ, which means our priorities are different. Our number one priority now is to become more and more like Jesus. Our priorities are no longer to be rich and to be successful. Our priorities are no longer to be safe and to be comfortable. Our priorities are no longer to be popular or to build influence or to have fifteen hundred people double click on your face on Instagram and have the perfect curated feed. Our normal or our our, our priority is no longer to keep up with the Joneses or. Try try to be the person we pretend to be on social media that is the old you that is the normal you but now you have been raised in a new life with Christ which means your priorities are different if you're taking notes write this down if it doesn't cause you to grow then guess what it's it's got to go if it doesn't cause you to grow then you got to get rid of it in your life because it's not going to help you become more and more like Jesus. So think about things in your life. What is it that is holding you back from becoming more and more like Jesus? That's got to go. What is it that is hindering you from pursuing the purpose that God has in your life? If it's hindering you or holding you back, you got to get rid of it. If it doesn't cause you to grow, then it's got to go. I can always tell what's important to a person by what they prioritize in your life. If they were to tell me, hey, my marriage is important to me, but you never take your wife out on a date, then guess what? You can say it's important all you want, but if it's not a priority, then it's not gonna be important. You could tell me all day long that you love your kids and that they are a priority, but if you come home and you check out and you don't spend time with your kids, then that is not a priority in your life because you always give your time to the things that you value most. Jesus says it like this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way for us to think about it is this, is where your priorities are, that's where you're going to see where your heart truly is. And so my question for you is when you survey your life, when you think about your life, when you think about what Jesus has done, are you normal? Are you like everybody else? Or when it comes to your priorities, are you a little bit weird? Is Jesus just a part of your life, or is he the most important? Then he will be a priority in your life. When Christ who appears, he is your life. The number one reason that as Christians we're weird is because our priorities are different. The second reason we're weird is because our passions are strange, Look what he says here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What He says that earthly, he's talking about normal, what is average, what everybody else seems to be doing. It is common, it is the culture, it is the crowd. Put to death that which is earthly within you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath Of God is coming. Now, anytime I read a list like this, all of a sudden people start getting a little nervous. They're like, uh oh, he said the buzzwords. Oh no, the pastor said the word that triggers everybody and they freak out. I I hope nobody gets offended and I hope that he doesn't say anything that I disagree with. Oh no, what is the pastor gonna say? Now listen. If you're new to redemption, here's what you need to know is that we love the Bible here at this church, that we are a Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church, and our favorite way to preach through the Bible is what's called expository preaching. That's another big college word for you, and what it means is that we just go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we say whatever it is that the Bible says, so in the six years as a church, next week is our six-year anniversary. Come on, somebody. Let's celebrate that. Six years of life change as a church. It's absolutely amazing. And in the six years that we've been a church, Colossians is the 11th book that we've studied. And my vision for the future is that by the time that I retire as a pastor, that I will be able to have said that I've preached through the entire Bible, all 66 books We preach to it because we love the Bible and we love to preach God's word. And anytime we preach through the Bible, it's inevitable that we're going to come across a list like this. Or we're going to touch a topic or we're going to hit a subject that many people don't agree with. And I want you to know that if you're here and you're a little anxious and nervous, take heart in this. I didn't pick this. Okay, I wasn't just sitting in my office this week. It's like, hmm, I wonder how I can make everybody mad and offend them this week. Okay, that's not what I was thinking. I just preach to the Bible, and I just say whatever it is that God says. And so if you're wondering, oh no, what's the pastor gonna say? Okay, I'm just gonna say whatever God says. Here's what God says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurities, passion, Evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Why do we want to put these things to death? Because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What is earthly? Here's what earthly is. Earthly is normal. Everybody's doing it. Okay? That's what's normal. Earthly is Well, it's really not that big of a deal. Okay, that's what normal people think. It's very popular. Okay, just because something's popular, it doesn't make it right. And just because something is legal, it doesn't mean it's good for you. He says to put to death the things that are earthly within you. What was normal in Paul's day? Sexual immorality was normal in Paul's day. It was normal for people to have multiple sexual partners. In Colossae, they would actually go to temples and they would have sex with prostitutes as an act of worship. In Rome, it was normal for men to have sex with men. And even a sign of wealth or privilege is the younger the boy was, the more status you had. That was normal to them. Normal was sexual immorality. Normal was unbridled passions, doing whatever you want with whoever you want. Normal was evil desires that hurt and harmed others. That was normal for them. Sexuality, gender, all of these things were up for debate and they were normal, it was average, it was popular. Does any of that sound familiar? I love it when people say, the Bible is outdated. Really? Have you read this thing? Okay, it looks pretty relevant to me. When you read through this list, 2,000 years ago, Paul says, here's what's normal. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And when I read that, you know what I think? Welcome to the United States of Colossae. We have more in common with the people than we thought we did. When it comes to our culture, is our culture kind of obsessed with sex? Is the cultural view of sex and gender and sexuality, are they passionate when it comes to their view of sex? Yes, they are very passionate. You know how I know they're passionate? Because the moment anybody says something that disagrees with them, Oh, you better watch out because you're about to get canceled faster than a 90s spinoff sitcom. They're about to cancel you so fast. They're going to retweet you. They're going to get all their friends to jump in the comment section, and they're going to start using big words like bigot and homophobe, and they're going to call you intolerance and all of these different things to be able to make you feel bad in order to make themselves look better. Are people passionate when it comes to their vision of what's Yes, everybody is passionate when it comes to this subject. People say that Christianity is the biggest religion in America, but I would have to disagree with them. You wonder what is the biggest the biggest religion in America? The biggest religion in America happens to be sex. Sex is the biggest religion. There are more people who are devoted to sex as God in our society than people who are devoted to God as God. Just listen to some of these statistics. 96% of men in the last six months when surveyed have viewed pornography. 70% of women have looked at pornography as well. The revenue of pornography is greater than the income of the NFL, Major League Baseball, and and basketball all together and combined. And what is the result of this sexual revolution? One in four women have been sexually assaulted. Research is now showing that 14-year-old boys, due to their pornography use, they are experiencing erectile dysfunction at 14 years old and there is a direct link between suicide and the amount of sexual partners that a, number, a person has. And then add to that the 65 million babies who have been murdered since Roe versus Wade. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, present your bodies as living sacrifices. You can either present your body as a holy sacrifice to the Lord or you could present your body as a living sacrifice to the God of sex when it comes to our culture. So when I read a list like this, when I see these words show up and we are to set aside our emotions and we set aside our culture and we think not in what's normal but in what's best, I have to agree with Paul that normal doesn't work. That normal is not working. Normal is not good for us. And just because something is normal, that doesn't make it right. Normal is hurting people. Normal is breaking. And normal is heartbreak. Normal is wounding women. Normal is destroying young men. And here's the reason why. It's because it's sin. Does sin lead to life? No. Does sin lead to flourishing? No. Sin may look good. Sin may be pleasurable. Sin may be fun for a season. But in the end, sin always leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death because that's what sin does. Sin infects and affects everything that it touches and it destroys And it always leads to death. Sin never leads to life. Sin always leads to death. And many people think, well, nothing bad is happening to me. Not yet. You think, well, it's not really hurting anybody. It's my body, it's my choice. I'm just living my life. Nobody can tell me what to do. Who are you to judge me? Listen, I am not the judge, I am just the messenger. God is the judge. And what God says is this, on these things, the wrath of God is coming. When we think about wrath in the Bible, there's actually two ways that it's viewed. The first way is what's called the passive wrath, and the second way is the active wrath. When it comes to the passive wrath, think about it kind of like in your home that there would be a small gas leak And as the gas slowly begins to fill up the house, you might not even notice it. You might not even smell it. And if you do smell it and you think, well, it's not really that big of a deal. I don't see any problems with it. And so you continue living your life. And day by day, what's happening? That gas is filling up the house until one day you strike a match or you light the stove. And then all of a sudden, boom, there is an explosion and it leads to death. That's the passive wrath of God. The book of Romans says that we are not getting away with anything. In fact, we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And everything you are doing right now, it may not lead to anything that is Necessarily bad. You may not see the devastating effects in the very moment, but given enough time, eventually it is going to lead to death because the passive wrath of God enacts the active wrath of God. And in the very end, every single one of us will stand before a living and holy God and we will have to give an account for our lives. And God is the judge. And when it comes to these things, the wrath of God is. coming. I'm just saying what the Bible says. This is sin, sexual immorality, any form of sex that is outside of the context that God created. One man, one woman in a covenant of marriage for life. Anything outside of that is sin, And God is the judge when it comes to these things. So the question for us is this, what do we do? How do we avoid the wrath of God? Because I know that on that day, you will not be able to bear the weight of your sins. You will not be able to give an excuse. You will not be able to justify yourself. You will not be able to defend yourself. You will have to give an account, and you will receive your verdict. And on that day, the wrath of God will be evident. So what do you do? How do we escape the, the wrath of God? Well, there's three responses that we can have when it comes to sin. The first response is this, is that you can tolerate it. You can just kind of deal with it. Put it off to a corner and give into temptations just a little bit. And you can try to see just how close to the line you can get without actually going over it. You can just tolerate it. You can just live with it. You can keep it a secret. And that's what you can try to do. The second thing you can try to do is this, is you can celebrate it. You can say, this is just who I am. I was born this way. Okay, everybody should come and celebrate me and affirm me. Give me a hashtag and a parade. Let's just celebrate it because you're so different. You're so special. You're so unique. No, it's very normal. You can either tolerate sin. You could celebrate sin. But if you're a Christian, there's only one option for you is that you kill your sin. As a Christian, we only have one option when it comes to sin, is that we kill our sin. That's why he says this, put to death the things that are earthly within you. Don't tolerate it. Don't celebrate it. Kill it. And here's the reason why. Because if you don't kill your sin, then eventually your sin will kill you. If you're not killing sin, then sin, it's going to kill you because sin always leads to death. It leads to the death of relationships. It leads to the death of marriages. It leads to the death of children. It leads to the death of friendships. It always separates. It always destroys. It always leads to chaos, and it always leads to death. Either you kill your sin, or eventually the passive wrath will enact the act of wrath, and your sin will kill you. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, you're like, this pastor is, just doesn't want me to live my life. This pastor just doesn't want me to have any fun. This pastor is just trying to upset me and hold me back from being the best version of myself. That's, that's not true. You say, but he just doesn't want me to have any passion. That's not true because, listen, as Christian, I have passion. I'm very, I, have, I have passions. Okay, I have sexual passions as well. And my passions are not to be left without control. No, my passions, they are channeled when it comes to my, my wife. Whenever me and Ashley, we were first dating okay, this is the way that we lived. We were very promiscuous before we met, and then we were very sexually active in living together whenever we were first dating. For the first two years, this is the way that we lived our life. Even as Christians, this is the way that we lived our life. And then I read a verse just like this, where it says, on these things, the wrath of God is coming. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty serious, so I don't want to Do that. so there's going to be some things that we're going to have to change in our life. And so we made a decision that we were no longer going to have sex and we were going to wait until our our wedding day. And so I'm I'm working at a restaurant at the time and there's some guys that I was working with and they, they asked me about me and Ashley's sex life and I just told them, I said, hey, you know what? We made a commitment that we were going to wait until marriage and we weren't going to have sex. And they looked at me like I was weird. Okay, because... Sexual immorality and the things of this earth, they're normal, but they looked at me like I had three eyes, like I was so weird. They're like, what do you mean, man, you're not hitting that? They're like, man, you gotta test drive a car before you buy it, and that's the problem, is that the sexual immorality of our society has trained and taught young men that women are nothing more than objects, and the way they view women is disrespectful, and so here's what what I told these guys. I said, hey, listen, I'm a Christian, And I believe that God created marriage and God created sex and he intends it to to be good. And I also believe that Ashley is a daughter of my king and that she should be treated with dignity and value and respect. And because I love God and I love Ashley, I'm gonna honor her by waiting until our wedding day. And they looked at me like I was absolutely weird. And you know what? It's because it is weird, and we waited until our wedding day, and guess what? It was good, and it's getting better, and it's still continuously getting better. After 14 years, I have passion for my wife, and that passion continues to grow. That passion continues to get sweeter. That passion continues to grow more and more and to get deeper and deeper as we fall more and more in love with each other. And as the passion grows over 14 years, I can honestly tell you the sex is better as well. But that's just not my experience. That's actually what science has to tell us science actually supports this that christians are weird because they have better sex than the rest of the world i mean look at some things that it says this look here's some statistical research that comes from a man named bradford wilcox out of the university of virginia he's one of the leading sociologists whenever it comes to faith and culture and here's what he said just some statistics For you, 70% of churchgoers who attend church every single week report to be extremely happy in their marriages compared to 59% who attend rarely. The highest group of marital satisfaction was women whose husbands attend church. Ladies, this is why we pray for the men to come to the church. Amen. All the ladies said, amen. Couples who attend church together are 35% less like, percent less likely to support than couples who do not. Christian men who are more active in the church express are more expressive to their children's and their kids' needs. Christian men are more positive towards marriage. Christian men are more emotionally engaged with their wives. Wives are most likely to report marital happiness. Church attendance promotes empathy among men towards women and children. Men who attend church are more affectionate towards their children. Men who attend church yell at their children less, are more involved in extracurricular activities than those who do not. And here's the whammy. Couples who attend church frequently have more frequent sex than couples who do not. And women married to men who are active in a church church more than once per week you ready have more orgasms than any other person in the population y'all should be applauding for that one right now i mean christians we're weird how many of y'all ready to get weird Okay, you can wait till you get home to be weird. But yes, Christians are weird because our passions, they don't line up with the ways of the world. Our passions are weird. And here's what I want you to know. If it's in God's word, it's for my good. God's not withholding anything from me. What is he doing? He is preparing me for something better. God is not trying to rob you of something. He's trying to set you up for the best possible success when it comes to your life. If it's in God's word, it's for your good. God knows that sexual immorality is not for your good. God knows that it hurts people. God knows that it's breaking people's hearts and souls and minds. God knows that it is wounding women And it is hurting and harming young men. God knows that it's not his best for you. And so he is not trying to hold you back. He's trying to set you up because if it's in God's word, it's for your good. And so what do we do? Well, we put to death our ungodly and earthly passions. And then we allow Jesus to resurrect and redirect the godly passions of our life. That's one reason why Christians are weird. The third reason is this. It's because our purpose is unusual. We'll keep reading. Verse 7. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, therefore, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, sentient, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. If I were to sum up the last two years, I would say it would probably be this verse. Just, just look at it. He says, put them all away. Anger. Doesn't it seem like everybody is just angry? I mean, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, what are we mad about today? What are we yelling about today? What's trending today? How could I be offended today? That just seems to be the posture that everybody takes because everybody is angry. Angry is normal for most people. What are we yelling about today? While well, they type in all caps, wrath. Your people disagreed with my people. You hurt my feelings. Now I'm going to hurt you malice, slander, can you believe what so-and-so said? Oh my gosh, you can't believe it? Well, I'm gonna tell you about it, you son of a bleep, blankety, blank, blank, blank. What is that? That is unwholesome speech that comes from your mouth. And all we see today is just fake news and conspiracy and misinformation and obscene talk. People are mad and angry about anything and everything, and they don't know why. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? Of course it does. Why? Because this is normal. It's almost like the purpose for some people is to make other people's lives as miserable as they possibly can. They're like, if I can't be happy, ain't nobody being happy. Doesn't that seem just the way that the world is? And I think that this is the entire purpose of the 24-hour news cycle. Like, all it is, the whole goal is just to bring as much division and to bring as much anxiety and to paralyze people with as much fear as possible so they can keep making money off of you. It's the attention, merchant, and society. They profit off of your offense. And here he says this. He says, Greek Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, Slave free, and to them, this would be trigger words. Okay, it would be the same thing as today if I were to say Black Lives Matter and make America great again, BLM, MAGA, okay, mask, no mask. Okay, this would be like saying vaccine, no vaccine, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor. What happens anytime those words get thrown into the mix? Somebody is going to get offended, and nobody can agree on anything, and everybody is offended and leaving Google reviews saying, I am never going back to that church again because the pastor, he triggered me. Listen, if you find yourself easily triggered or offended about everything, then you should do what Paul says to do. You should just put it all away. If you're looking for a reason to be offended, you're always going to find a reason to be offended. But if you're looking for a reason to have peace, then you're going to find reasons to have peace. If you like living with offense, then continue on. That's your life. Be normal and do what everybody else does. But if you want something different, then you're going to have to be different. And here's what Paul says. Everybody's offended and angry and upset. Do you want to live that way? No. Here's what you do. You put it all away. How do we put it away? Here's what I would tell you. Turn off the TV. Turn off Fox News. Turn off CNN. Turn off NBC. And pick up your Bible and read because all you're going to find over here is bad news. But what you're going to find in this book is good news. You can have bad news and be offended or you can have good news and you can have peace. Put it away. Put away social media. Go ahead and deactivate your Twitter account. Log out of your Tinder account. Put it all away so that way you can put on the peace that comes from God. Put it all away. I love what he says here. He says, in these things you once walked. When you were living in them, these things were normal. But you're not normal anymore. Now you're weird. And so next time you see a Facebook comment that you don't agree with, you know what you're going to do? You're going to keep scrolling. Because you don't have to join every fight that you're invited to. You can just keep scrolling. Not my monkeys, not my zoo. You just keep scrolling on. Next time somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to go hang out, have two beers that turn into two mini beers? You say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not the way that I live my life. You can say no, and you don't have to give a reason because no is a complete sentence. You could just say no. And the next time somebody comes up to you and they start gossiping about another person here's what you do you just make a really sour face like this like what are you doing make it look like you just you just drank spoiled milk just like they're like what are you doing you're like I can't do this I'm allergic to gossip it makes me sick what are they gonna do they're gonna start thinking you're weird they're gonna be like oh you think you're too good for us Now that you go to church and now that you're a Christian, you think you're holier than thou, you're better than me, you you think that you're too good, man, you have changed. Next time somebody tells you, you've changed, you know what you say, good, because people are supposed to change. That's why we say life change through Jesus, because Jesus changes our lives. Next time somebody says it, like, you're not who you used to be. You say, praise the Lord. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who I was is not who I am. I have a new life now. The old me is gone, is dead, and buried, and now I have been raised to a new life with Christ. My sins have been wiped away, and my future is now wide open. I do not live the way that I used to live because I have a new life. That I am a new person with new desires, with a new heart, with a new nature, with a new community, with a new identity, and with a new destiny. Who I was is not who I am because I have a new purpose for my life. My purpose now is to love God and to glorify him with anything and everything that I have and then to love others. That's my purpose in life now. Who I was is not who I am. My purpose is unique, which leads to the fourth and the final point. As we get ready to close, here's what I wanna ask you this question. Do you like living the way that you are living? When you step back and you survey your life, and you see all of your relationships, you see all of your health mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, when you step back and you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? If you don't like what you see, then you're going to have to change some things in your life. Why? Because if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else does. But if you want something different. If you want something better, then guess what you're going to have to be? You're going to have to be different. If you want normal, normal is stress. Normal is broke. Normal is overworked, overwhelmed. Normal is living paycheck to paycheck. Normal is hooking up, shacking up, breaking up. Normal is cohabitation, which is not preparation for marriage, but it's simply practicing for divorce. If you want normal, then just do what everybody else has. But if you look around and you see that normal isn't working, then maybe it's time that you get a little bit weird. And here's how Paul closes. He says the fourth reason that Christians are weird is because our perspective has changed. Verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, And if anybody has a complaint, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here's the bottom line. If you're taking notes, write this down. What you believe determines how you behave. What you think about God is the most important thing that you think about yourself. Who is God to you? What is your perspective of God? Is he angry? Is he judgmental? Is he vindictive? Well, then that's the way that you're going to eventually end up living your life as well. But if you view God as a heavenly father who wants the best for his kids, then you're going to believe that if it's in God's word, then it's good for your life. If you believe that God is loving, how loving is God? He is so loving that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not die, but they will have what? Everlasting life. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Do you believe that God is loving? Do you believe that God is forgiving? Do you believe that God knows the worst about you, but he still believes the best for you? Do you believe that God has peace? Not just any peace, but a peace that passes understanding. Do you believe that God is compassionate and that God cares and that God listens to your prayers? Do you believe that God is loving, filled with grace, and he gives out mercy? Do you believe that that's who God is? Well, if you believe that that's who God is, then that's gonna change the way that you live. Because what you believe determines how you behave. If you know that God is loving, then guess what? You're gonna be able to love others with the love that God has given to you. Do you believe that God is forgiving? If so, then you're gonna be able to forgive others in the way that God has forgiven you. Do you believe that God has peace? If so, then you're gonna live a life in the midst of the chaos, you're still gonna be able to have peace peace. Why? Because what you believe determines how you behave. Here's what Christians understand. Our perspective has changed. That we no longer see the world the way that the world sees the world. We begin to see the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We see the world the way that God sees the world because our perspective has changed. What we believe has now changed impacted, and affected the way that we begin to live our lives. So my question for you is this, when you look at your life, are you weird or are you normal? Do you look just like everybody else looks? Is your life no different than the person down the street or the person who is in your office? Does your life look exactly like everybody else? Does your opinions match what the culture says? Does your life value the same things that the world values? When you look at your life, have you changed at all since the day or the moment that you met Jesus? Do you look really normal? If so, my question for you is this. Why are you so normal? Because God didn't make you to be normal. God made you to be weird. God didn't save you so that way you could fit in. You were born again so that way you would be able to stand out. Don't be worried when people call you weird. Instead, you should be worried when they don't call you weird. That's when you should be worried. Because if you look just like everybody else, you have to wonder if you've really experienced life change that comes from Christ. You have to wonder, are you even actually a Christian? Because newsflash, Christians are weird. God wants us to be weird. God saved us to be weird, because this word right here Paul uses, he says, holy. Do you know what that word holy means? That word holy means distinct. It means set apart. It means different. It means called out. It means separate. Another way we could read that word holy is it's weird. So one way you could read this verses is put on then as God's weird ones. Because you weren't made to look like everybody else. You were made to look like Jesus. That's the reason that God made you. God made you to be different. So don't spend your life trying to fit in. And don't be worried if people call you weird. Be worried when they don't. That's why Christians are so weird. Because Christianity, newsflash, is weird. Listen, here's what we believe. We believe that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. That is Weird, we believe that sin entered into the world and it destroyed everything that God made good. That is weird. And we believe that God saw us in our sin and he determined to do something about it. That is weird. He could have left you where you were at, but that's not what he did. Instead, he chose to get up off his throne. And to send his only son, Jesus, to live the life we never could live and die the death that we deserve in our place for our sins. Who does that? That's weird. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's weird. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. That's weird. And then we worship a God who was crucified, dead, and buried. And three days later, he resurrected from the dead. That's weird. And we also believe that he is still alive to this very every day and he still changes lives. That's weird. But you know what? Christianity is supposed to be weird. So my question for you is this, are you weird? And if not, you have to wonder if you're actually really even saved in the first place. Why are Christians so weird? It's because God wants us to be weird because normal doesn't work. Instead, we should try to be weird. So if you're here today, and you're tired of living a normal life, and you're tired of just being average, and you're tired of just living your life day by day, fitting into the crowd, living according to the culture, and you realize that normal is broken, normal doesn't work, then I'm gonna invite you today to be different, I'm gonna invite you today to be weird.